Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or at Banking Day. This week's Talking Business is brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonald Legal, experts in the areas of dispute resolution in commercial and property law. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I'm Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number three in our series of 2023, and today's date is Friday, February the 17th. First, I'll be talking to Scott Agnew, the CEO and operating partner at Keller Williams Realty in Utah, and KPMG economist Sarah Hunter about the RBA raising interest rates again and its implications for the economy. But now, let's talk to Scott Agnew. Scott, tell us all about your real estate business at Keller Williams Realty International. Yeah, at Keller Williams. Uh, yeah, sure. We have we have around worldwide, we have about 185,000 real estate agents worldwide. The area that, that I'm in charge of has, you know, about 5% of that number. And I cover the state of Utah and the U.S. And also, I have a, a nice-sized brokerage in Tempe, Arizona. So, I kind of travel between the two states. And we do you know we do about you know right about six uh six billion in volume in my in my little group and of course it's you know somewhere close to a trillion uh worldwide right okay okay but uh i mean uh looking at the housing crash in 2008 what's what would you say was to come in 2023 and beyond yes 2008 was considerably different however it feels the same it it's considerably different because we were in a credit crisis. That's not what's going on now at all. There's no real credit crisis. There is just a higher cost of borrowing money at a 7% rate right now in the U.S. That feels a lot worse than three and a half or 4% like it was, you know, eight, nine months ago. You know, the likelihood of rates continuing to go up, it's probably 30, 70, they'll go up and, and maybe 70% they'll level. And, you know, some of the bigger banks are even predicting some softening of rates into probably 
probably the last quarter of 2023, something of that nature. Yeah, it's 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 different in that way because the banks are still lending. They have tightened the rules a little bit. They have qualifying loans and non-qualifying loans. A qualifying loan would be a loan that, you know, is a typical W-2 person who makes X amount of dollars. And based on that, they do a front end and a back end percentage and analysis. And on the back end, it's I think it's 42 to 43 percent. On the front end, it's around 28 percent. And front end means your expenses for the house minus your in, or divided by your income. And then uh, on the back end, it would be the payment on your house divided by many of your uh, included, you know, regular expenses, which would include utilities and taxes and things like that. What's the big problem that you face communicating with people there as a business? Yeah, the big, yeah, yeah, sure. The big challenge, uh, Leo, that we have is obviously there's buyer reluctance. Buyers don't want to buy when the rates have just gone up. They're 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 either gonna you know they're either gonna hesitate, or they're going to maybe try to do some creative financing, which is which is fine. So we're, we're, we're trying to point out that when markets soften or when markets shift, if you will, there's always going to be an upside and a downside to it, Leo. Um, so when, when rates go up, what happens to the housing prices? Well, there's pressure to, to reduce housing prices. So oftentimes, you know, and it, and it hasn't quite it hasn't quite hit to the point where the seller's expectations have gotten to the realistic point, but it's to the kind of realistic point. So they know there's a shift, but, you know, people have to take pride in their homes and they believe that their home is still holding its value in spite of what the market is telling them. So, you know, long story short, bottom line is, is that while rates have increased, there are better opportunities for buyers to get better pricing. And as a result of a softening market, it's kind of interesting in that how when, when, when housing prices were going up at 10%, 15% a month, buyers were in line to buy houses. And, and now that rates, you know, now that it's slowed down, there's no buyers. Even, and even, actually, even though prices have come down. Yeah, yeah. So if I'm actually a, a savvy buyer, what am I doing right now? Right. I'm looking at the deals. I'm looking because there's a lot of folks when they put their home in the market, they do need to sell. And so, you know, you have leverage now that you didn't have before on the price. So even though the rate might go up a bit, you know, I always say you own the home and you rent the rate. So the rate could be, you know, readjusted a year, two years from now. Sellers can participate in buying down the rate if, if they really want to. In many cases, it's more advantageous to the buyer. They buy down the rate rather than lowering the price of the home. So the so the seller in many cases can, you know, save face with their neighbors, right? Still sell the house at, at a reasonable, respectable price, even though it might be a little softer. And then they can make it up by buying down the rate for the buyer. And, and the buyer actually, has, the, for dollar for dollar, it's a better deal to buy down the rate typically. Well, I, I've got to ask you, how do you navigate and lead through such uncertain times? I mean, it's just been a terrible period globally. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's all about perspective, right? You know, when the stock market was crashing or when it was diving these last you know, handful of months, you know, people are getting out of the market, right? Well, what do you think the savvy investors are doing now, now that the market has you know, kind of relinquished its profit? They're, the savvy investor is saying, okay, uh, you know, now might be a decent time to get in. And the important point of this all 
is that you can't, nobody's smart enough to time markets, right? You, you know, nobody buys at the lowest low and sells at the highest high unless you just get lucky. So the idea is to understand that over time, the value of real estate will continue to ascend. It has over the last 50 years, somewhere between seven and a half and eight and a half percent average every year for the last you know 50 years. So yes, you will have ups and downs, but over the long haul, your asset will more than likely, and again, I'm not a, you know, I can't see the future. I'm not Aladdin or whatever, but history would tell us that if nothing else, inflation itself will take care of housing prices in the future and in the long run. So, so the key is to actually uh, lead with perspective. Yeah, have a perspective on what the opportunity is. And there's always opportunity. This, you know, the, the challenge is the opportunity is usually to, you know, there's, there's, there's people that try to time the market. And then there's long-term thinkers. This is, you know, I wrote my book about this, long-term leadership. It, it's more about letting the timing catch them, right? So, you know, you get in the market, yeah, it might drop a little bit more, but over the long haul, you know, uh, history would tell us that, you know, it's a very viable and sound place to be. Now, uh, I've got to ask you, what is the most important skill of leaders to manage now? Well, there's a lot of controversy on that. I think the number one skill a leader should have is being able to identify the right people that they need in their organization. And when I say the right people, uh, most people think it's about behavioral style, track record, uh, performance and achievement and all those things. And I, I think it's more than that and beyond that. And I think there's a precursor to that especially in these times when we have such divisive leadership, we have polarizing leadership. And in fact, I don't, I wouldn't even label the polit political climate as leadership. I think it's a lot of salesmanship and gamesmanship. So identifying the right people goes deeper and, it, and it's the precursor to their performance. Yes, you have to have people that know how to perform. You have to have people that are achievement minded and can you know, achieve goals and are willing to do the work to get there. Uh, I look for a couple of things, though. I look for, number one, do they naturally love the job that I need them to do? Do they naturally just love it? Are they excited by it for whatever reason? You know, I have an accountant that loves accounting. I can't stand accounting. This guy loves accounting. So I've, I've selected him, number one, because he loves accounting. But number two, for a very important reason is the guy is very easy to get along with. When I have a question or a challenge or I question his work, he says, yeah, Scott, let's take a look at that. He doesn't argue. He doesn't make me feel like I'm stupid. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't start, start talking in big language to try to, you know, demonstrate that he's so much smarter than me or anything like that. And I think that's the, that's the hidden factor that I wish more leaders would look for in the people they surround themselves. To put it simply, surround yourself with people who are givers and not takers. Uh, yes, they have to perform. They have to be good. They have to be, you know, they have to be focused. Uh, but at the end of the day, are they the kind of people that want to bring others up around them? Or are they just kind of more or less out, out for their own self-interest? And that show that manifests itself in, in, you know, very simple ways. You know, during the interview process, in order to make sure I'm, you know, getting the right demeanor, the right temperament for leadership. You know, I'll take the, you know, the, the, uh, the candidate's uh, spouse to dinner and I'll watch how they interact with each other and I'll watch how they treat the, the help, the, you know, the support staff. I'll watch how they respond or react to this incredible meal that I'm buying for them. And I'll take notice of how engaging they are. 
and how much they're interested in me rather than me just being interested in them. So those are, those are, I think that's the number one job of, of a leader is to show up in such a way that the people that you're surrounded with, first of all, love hanging out with you because you're the kind of guy who's interested and cares and has empathy and also has you know, laser focus and a, you know, and a desire to win the Super Bowl. Nothing wrong. You know, there's, it's not either or you can have absolutely both. And then people that align with that, you know, that you're, you're wanting to bring on your team. You want, you want fierce competitors that want to win, but they can also be nice. And this is where I think this is one of the main challenges and main opportunities for leaders are in the future. I have a lot of great real estate agents that are savvy realtors that can negotiate the pants off of every deal. But the client wants to stick with them for life because they're not only that, they're not only great at what they do, but they're just great people. They, they show up with a willingness to share and give and give back. And, and that shows up in not just monetarily not just with time, but it also shows shows up in their interest of other people. And so the key for great readership is to actually read people correctly and to actually suss them out. Yeah, yeah, I would say that that but but again, that leads to I, I agree with that, but I, I but there's more to it. Yes, it's a very important to meet people where they're at and to meet to understand you know, their style and all those kind of things. But what I'm talking about is something even deeper than that. And that is just show up with a servant heart. And no matter what their style is, no matter what how they communicate, no matter what you're reading. All people want the same thing. They want to be understood. They want to be appreciated. They want to be heard. And if you and and in turn, if you do that as a leader, hopefully you'll invite them to do the same thing with their people. And that's how you build strong teams. That's how you build teams that last. That's how you build teams that cover for each other. You know what I mean? They're 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 people that all want to be in the same. You know, they're on the same boat and they're all rowing in the same direction, not because you're you're trying to figure them out, but because number one, you've already set them up to succeed because they love what they're doing. And number two, they'll they'll have natural chemistry with their team members because they're already people that are just cool. <laughs> and they and, and I think we settle sometimes because we we just look at we, we just look at a limited amount of the picture of people instead of looking at the whole person. Well, Scott, it's been fantastic talk to you and really, really enjoyed it. And thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, Leo. And now let's talk to Kate. BMG economist Sarah Hunter. Well, Sarah, the RBA raised interest rates last week and I looked at the uh, statement from the RBA and it was a bit worrying. Uh, they're saying inflation mightn't come back to the RBA's target band until 2025 and they're talking about unemployment hitting 4.5%. What's your view about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of the, the statement and raising rates, it wasn't a surprise that they raised. I think pretty much everybody was uh, expecting that to happen. So no surprises there. But you're right. I think that there were a few surprises in the statement, not least uh, that update to the forecast and in particular that projection for inflation, you know, higher for longer. And uh, going with that, a, a clear signal of more rate hikes to come. So they're talking about multiple. So and you can guess if that's two, three or even more than that. Uh, but certainly they were um, pretty hawkish in their stance and, and pretty clear that they think they have to do more to bring inflation, uh, to get it moving in the right direction, as it were, from their perspective, which is bringing it back down. And, and clearly with an economy that's slowing down and growth momentum is you know, starting to ease a bit, then in the context of the labour market, that does mean a slower pace of jobs growth uh, and at the very least a, a bit of a tick up in the unemployment rate from where we are now. The big worry is that whether this is going to bring on a recession. Well, yeah, and, and and I think just on that, I mean, the context for that, of course, is that a recession in the economist, we typically, at least in Australia, refer to a, a recession as 
two consecutive quarters of negative growth for GDP. So, you know, in the foot, say March quarter, we get a negative print. And then again, in the June quarter, one after another. Um, I, I think it is probably worth pointing out that, that that is a somewhat arbitrary definition. They actually don't use that definition in the US, for instance. They have a, a much broader, um, more considered view, if you like, that takes a holistic view on the whole economy. And it's actually a, the NAB board that will sit down and, and make a decision on whether they think it's a recession like, like conditions. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. Uh, and the other thing to keep in mind, I guess, in relation to all of that is that, yes, the economy is slowing. And yes, we could uh, we could see a recession. But really, if we're thinking about um, outcomes for the economy and trying to bucket them and broadly put them all together, really what we what we be very concerned about clearly is a significant downturn in the economy. So yes, that is likely to be a recession, but you know, a significant slowdown um, in activity in the face of growth and you know, perhaps two courses of contraction. If we end up with a period of time where growth is really, really sluggish, could be two negative quarters. It could be minus 0.1, minus 0.1. That would technically be a recession, but that's very different to a to a big slowdown, a big downturn in the economy. So for me, I, I yes, there's a technical definition. Yes, it's absolutely possible, but I'm much more interested in how the economy travels through. I expect this year to be slower than last year. In fact, we want it to be slower than last year. We couldn't keep going at the pace we were from last year. Uh, but it's how much of a slowdown. That's really what's crucial to me. And, and whether or not that's a technical recession, we'll see. But that's what I'm going to be looking for. Well, uh, the issue is uh, how much of a slowdown. I mean, we're talking about yeah. growth rate of, mm-hmm. what, 1.5 or 1.2? I mean... Yeah, I think so. I certainly think we'll probably well, my current my sort of current thinking and forecasts are for a little bit below one point five percent for the year. So that's pretty sluggish growth, particularly I think in the current quarter, um, going into the next quarter. But more than that, actually, it's a pretty sluggish profile through the year. I think what's going to be interesting for me, if I'm looking at the economy this year, I can see a number of sort of slow burn drags. So I can't see a uh, necessarily a big, uh, you know, a sharp fall in the face of growth in any given quarter. But I can see a lot of things that are really going to slow the economy down. So right now, uh, we're starting to see the first signs that household spending might be uh, at the very least slowing down in its pace of growth and possibly stalling in some parts of the economy, going back in some sectors, even household goods, for example. Uh, I can also see there's a lot of challenges in the construction sector, particularly residential construction. They've had a really tough run with um, challenging input costs increasings. Uh, and you know, labor shortages, and now they're sort of starting to feel the very first impacts of a, a slowdown in demand. You know, dwelling approvals have been falling for quite a few months now off the back of interest rate hikes and, and the end of home builder. That's going to start to have an impact as well. And government spending too, um, it might not be going backwards, but it's not going to grow at the same pace that it has recently. So there's a, quite a few of these sort of drags on the economy. They may not be a recession, but they're drags on growth. So yeah, the economy grown by less than one and a half percent for the year. That would be a sign that um, Q and Q growth well below trend. Well, certainly will feel like a recession for a lot of people. Yeah, in some parts of the economy, uh, in some sectors, that that is definitely possible. So. Uh, as I said already, we're seeing it in, for instance, home uh, home goods, so homewares, furniture, you know, electronic items, that sort of thing. That category of retail turnover in volume terms has been contracting for a year now, the volume of goods being pushed through. So if you work in that sector, be you big, uh, big retailer, small wholesaler and everything in between, you're already seeing and feeling that. Uh, and that will spread to other parts of the economy as well. We know the real estate sector clearly is in a bit of a downturn. So if you're a real estate agent, you've got, really got less churn through your books now than you had a year ago. Uh, and you know, we also know that it's coming through in finance and other related uh, areas like that. And it's going to broaden a bit. So, yeah, for some parts of the economy, activity uh, possibly is falling at the moment. For many parts, at least, it'll be a slower pace of growth this year than last. 
what the $64 question is, what's going to happen with inflation? I mean, uh, there are signs mm-hmm. overseas where the Fed has said it looks like it's moderating, although they're still raising rates over there. They're saying the same, the same in Europe and the mm. UK. Uh, what's your view about inflation? I mean, how long is it going to be around for? Yeah, well, I think we're going to be talking about it for quite a bit of time yet, certainly all of this year and well into next year. I I mean, I think if I'm looking at inflation and trying to unpack it a bit, and the RBA actually did this as well in their statement of monetary policy that they released uh, just last week, what I can see coming through is that some of those supply shocks that we've been experiencing over the last 12 months or so, those are starting to ease in inflation terms. So for instance, Fuel prices have been, they, they move around, they do fluctuate, uh, but they've been relatively steady for a while now. Um, and so they're actually, um, in some regards, actually lower than they were um, about a year ago. So a year ago was when the conflict in Ukraine was obviously starting to ramp up and become a distinct possibility. Fuel prices rose very sharply and then spiked in March. At the moment, prices are lower than they were then. So actually, fuel price inflation, at the very least, is going to fall back to near zero, could even turn negative for a little while. So that's one of those supply shocks that in inflation terms, that price increase terms is definitely easing. Food prices as well, hopefully, touch wood, we don't have any more floods to deal with and the disruption that those have caused, on, particularly on the East Coast. So food price inflation as well should start to moderate the supermarkets. Uh, they're talking about that now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Happening over the next six months or so. So that's another pocket of inflation that um, is likely to disappear. Um, and construction material costs as well, related to the sort of global picture, their price pressures there are also starting to ease. The pace of increase is slowing, some material costs actually falling. So some of those supply shots I can see going away, and that will bring inflation, headline inflation down, sort of on its own, irrespective of what the RBA does, that will flow through. But the challenge for the RBA is that domestic price pressures are broadening and in some cases ramping up. So we can see what's happening in rental markets, for instance, and it's a real symptom of of the domestic economy. Uh, But broader than that, almost all categories now in the CPI are seeing inflation running pretty hot, many of them above 4% year on year. That's the story. That's what we're going to be focusing on sort of through this year and into next year. It's that domestic trends um, and how those are moderating and how those are playing through. That's going to be what's really, really critical. So we'll start talking about supply, hopefully, because nothing else will have happened. But we will have to start talking about these domestic trends and how they're playing out uh, in the data. Right. Okay. But that also means that uh, it will take some time before it gets down to the 2 to 3% mm-hmm. target band of the RBA. And that's why they're saying uh, 2025. 
Mm, that's it's certainly it's potentially. I mean, I, I can see uh, outcomes where we perhaps get to under three percent a little bit quicker than that. But I, yeah, for sure, it's absolutely not going to be where we'll land this year. So I think it'll be a story for next year as to how quickly we get back there. Uh, but it is going to take some time. Yeah, Twelve months is a long time, and it's going to be more than that. I think. In fact, more than twelve months. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, and the other big question is now uh, the future of uh, Governor Lowe. <laughs> uh, well, I, I can't really talk too much about that in uh, in the context of my current role. But yeah, certainly he's obviously um, his reappointment is something that the Treasury will be assessing at the moment. It's, it, you know, it's rolled around. He's been in the role now for nearly seven years. Uh, so that will be uh, something that the Treasury will be considering. I, I would imagine uh, he'll start considering that now because the uh, announcement will come in the not too distant future. Uh, my, my anticipation of that is he's probably got the wrong end of the rate cycle. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I mean, he, there, there, there'd be a chance that he could be replaced, and and in fact, the board could be replaced. Well, I mean, you know, all of these uh, conditions and decisions sit with the treasurer, so we'll all wait and see, and wait to see, and find out in the next few months. So uh, you're saying it's going to be a very tough twelve months ahead of us. Well, I think in the context of what it will feel like and look like in the economy from an individual perspective. Yeah, look, it, it's going to be a bit challenging for some people in particular. We know, you know, further raises in interest rates are clearly very challenging for those people with a mortgage, particularly if uh, you've got a relatively large mortgage compared to your income. That, yeah, first home buyers typically drop into that bucket, people that might have bought a property recently. So they're, they're one group that will definitely particularly be feeling the squeeze. Um, and um, in the context of looking at wages and wages growth and how that stacks up against price inflation, uh, for some people, um, they may well continue to see their, their wages growth lag behind uh, prices and then that's challenging as well Um, if you've also got a mortgage then that's an an extra uh, layer of difficulty so there's certainly some pockets of the economy for some individuals that are going to start to really feel it and uh, if they haven't already and obviously a lot of those flow-through effects I was talking about from residential construction and some parts of retail um, and businesses that might be a bit more reliant on the government as a source of demand they'll also start to feel it at the very least cooling off and um, and that can be challenging to navigate so yeah, look, it's a, it's a, another uncertain year. There's a lot going on. Uh, it feels like we've had a few years now where that's been the case. And it, it feels a little bit more normal to me. Uh, some of the dynamics are look a little bit more normal, certainly compared to a global pandemic. Uh, but we're not at the other side of the cycle yet. Uh, that, that's going to take us a little while. I don't think we'll be there by the end of this year. And certainly, while we not, might not be in a recession, it will certainly feel like a recession for many. Uh, that, yeah, that's entirely possible. I think individuals' experience of the economy can, it can be really, really different. I think that's always worth keeping in mind. When we aggregate up all of the data and we add everything up and report on aggregates like GDP, like the unemployment rate, like wages growth, we're always talking about you know the total for the economy or the average experience for the economy. And that uh, covers a wide spectrum of different um, outcomes and, and different possibilities. But for some people, yes, some people it is going to feel pretty challenging. We'll feel like then perhaps they're going backwards. Others, not so much, uh, but it's a real spectrum. And that's a challenge for the RBA and for the government. They're always uh, navigating environments where, you know, some people it will be more challenging, but for others, actually, perhaps things are getting better. And now is no different to to any other time in that regard. Well, Sarah, that's all quite illuminating. And thank you very much for your time. Sure, no worries. See you. Bye. Need legal information or legal advice? Today's podcast is brought to you by multi-award winning law firm, McDonald Legal experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For a free consultation on your legal matter, McDonald Legal can be reached on 03 
9070-1107 or by visiting the website www.mcdonaldlegal.com.au. So what's happening in the news? Well, the US Consumer Price Index rose at a rate of 6.4% in January compared with a year earlier, a smaller decline than expected in data that will still heighten concerns about the persistence of high inflation in the US economy. And more than half of Twitter's top 1,000 advertisers in September were no longer spending on the platform in the first weeks of January, according to data provided to CNN by digital marketing analysis firm Pathmatics, in a striking sign of how far-reaching the advertiser exodus has been following Elon Musk's acquisition of the company. Some 625 of the top 1,000 Twitter advertisers, including major brands such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, Jeep, Wells Fargo and Merck, had pulled their ad dollars as of January, according to estimates from Pathmatics, based on data running through January 25. As a result of the pullback, monthly revenue from Twitter's top 1,000 advertisers plummeted by more than 60% from October through January 25, from around $127 million to just over $48 million, according to the data. The data demonstrates the sharp decline of what was once a US $4.5 billion advertising business for Twitter. After Musk completed his takeover of the company in late October, advertisers began to worry about the safety and stability of the platform, given his plans to cut staff and relax content moderation policies. In early November, Musk said Twitter had seen a massive revenue drop. Although Twitter's ad business was always much smaller than that of competitors Facebook and Google, it was still responsible for the vast majority of the company's revenue. Musk must now fill in that gap as he stares down interest payments for the debt he took on to buy Twitter for $44 billion. And Treasurer Jim Chalmers has ducked questions about whether Phil Lowe is doing his job properly, while confirming a decision on the Reserve Bank Governor's future will be made by mid-year. Six Labor MPs last week had taken the unusual step of questioning Lowe's performance as Governor following the Reserve Bank's decision to impose a ninth consecutive interest rate rise, with some of those MPs suggesting his seven-year term should not be extended beyond September. Most of the country's business leaders had already concluded that Lowe had zero chance of being asked to stay on for a further period of time when his seven-year term expires on September 17. Indeed, the smart money is betting that the next Governor of the Reserve Bank will be a senior female Canberra Mandarin with a strong Treasury pedigree. Names being bandied about include Jenny Wilkinson, a former Treasury Deputy Secretary who is now Secretary of the Department of Finance, and Megan Quinn, another former Treasury Deputy Secretary who now heads the Department of Industry, Science and Resources. Last November, Lowe apologised for suggesting the central bank's cash rate would remain at 0.1% until 2024. The RBA instead started lifting rates in May last year, and the rate, which determines mortgage rates for households, now sits at 3.35% and is expected to be raised further. Chalmers was asked three times on the ABC's Insiders program on Sunday whether Lowe was doing his job properly, but the Treasurer stopped short of endorsing the independent central bank governor. Chalmers said the federal government would deliver an initial response to a sweeping review of the Reserve Bank, which will be handed to the Treasurer by March 31, before the federal budget is handed down in May, and a decision on whether to extend Lowe's term would then be made by mid-year. The review of Australia's central bank is a first in 40 years and is examining the bank's structure, culture, accountability, board member appointments and the bank's 2-3% inflation target. And Treasurer Jim Chalmers will channel most of the temporary windfall from soil and commodity prices into repairing the federal budget's bottom line, ruling out a return to surplus over forward estimates on Sunday. After moving to dampen expectations of his May budget last week, Dr Chalmers criticised the coalition for squandering extra revenue from elevated global coal, natural gas and iron ore prices before the election. Citing the cost of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, Defence and Labor's generous childcare policies, the Treasurer said he was not expecting a surplus in any of the four forward estimates years. He said the government would bank the majority of the reconciliation underlying cash balance estimates. Labor actually banked about 81% of the windfall between March and October last year. 
Dr Chalmers said the budget, Labor's second since its May 22 election win and due to be handed out on May 9, would focus on cost of living relief, economic growth and address supply chain pressures. And consumer sentiment has fallen back into deep pessimism, according to Westpac. The Westpac Melbourne Institute Consumer Sentiment Index dived 6.9% in February as hopes of a break from cost of living pressures and rate hikes have been dashed. Consentiment is now back near historic lows, with a weaker read than was seen during the global financial crisis. And that was a consumer survey. But an NAB monthly business survey says business conditions and confidence bounced in January after easing in late 2022, suggesting resilience in the economy amid inflation and rising borrowing costs, returning to a very high level at 18 index points after three months of soft conditions with all three subcomponents, trading conditions, profitability and employment, well above average. It noted that sectors such as wholesale, construction and manufacturing led the improvement. Confidence rose back to around average, continuing to rebound from negative reads two months ago. An NBN Co. has told a late-night Senator Estimates hearing that it lost 10,000 customers to Low Earth Orbit or LEO satellite rivals like Starlink, Elon Musk's SpaceX's satellite internet service. These services, which include the Amazon back Cooper and others, pose a growing threat to the NBN in regional areas where they can offer provide quicker speeds than the national network's Sky Muster satellite system. NBN Co. recognised the increasing competition in the pricing paper last late last year. NBN Co. Chief Development Officer Gavin Williams told the Senate estimates on Tuesday night the company had lost 10,000 users to LEO operators. NBN Chief Executive Stephen Rue denied that Skymuster would eventually become obsolete. Skymuster continues to provide many real benefits to people in regional Australia and we continue to develop products, he said. Mr Rue and Mr Williams said the services will be enhanced through a $480 million investment by the former coalition government to upgrade fixed wireless and satellite offerings in regional areas. The reason LEO operators like Starlink can provide faster speeds than NBN's Skymaster service is because of constellations at a low orbit. Signals simply have less distance to travel. Coalition Senator Sarah Henderson said, There are so many farmers in regional areas that are struggling with Skymaster. For many people in regional communities, Elon Musk is running rings around you, she said. And Commonwealth Bank has broken ranks with its main rivals to pause regional bank closures while the Parliamentary Committee examines a reason for closures and the community impact after scores of branches disappeared in the past six months. The issue of branch closures was referred to the Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport References Committee last week for an inquiry and a report is scheduled to be completed by December. The committee is accepting submissions on the matter until March 31 in response to concerns about the impact the withdrawal of face-to-face banking service may have in some regional areas and towns. In a statement, the CBA said, Following consideration of a request from the Senate committee, CBA will not close any regional branches while the inquiry is underway in 2023, a spokesman for the bank said. As an additional sign of good faith, while the inquiry is underway in 2023, CBA will postpone the closure of two branches already announced. However, Westpac has announced it will shut 20 regional and suburban branches in four states, despite a plea for banks to hold closures, while the Senate inquiry examines the impacts on rural communities. It will shut branches in Queensland, Victoria, New South Wales and South Australia this year. And Snowy Hydro's new chief executive, Dennis Barnes, has confirmed 12 months delays in the start-up of both the $5.9 billion Snowy 2.0 project and the Koori Koori power plant in New South Wales, with no guarantee against further hold-ups and cost increases. Mr Barnes told Senate Estimates that Snowy had advised the Australian Energy Market Operator of the revised timelines for the two projects, which have both been hit by construction delays due to bad weather and other factors. Snowy 2.0 is now anticipated to be completed at the end of 2027, while the 750-megawatt Koori Koori plant near Newcastle is now anticipated to be only fully online in December 2024, although initial power production is expected in May of that year, he said. The new timelines raise more question marks over the smoothness of the transition in the national electricity market given accelerating closure dates being announced for coal power plants. 
The cost of Snowy 2.0 was raised last year to $5.9 billion, while the cost of the Kuru Kuru plant, originally imposed at $600 million, is subject to a review that is underway. An additional investment of up to $700 million is envisaged by Snowy's owner, the Commonwealth Government, as part of its pre-election pillage to have the generator run on 30% green hydrogen at the outset. However, running the plant on 30% green hydrogen, which is not currently available at the site at any cost, is subject to a business case still being worked up by Snowy Hydro that is due to go government before the 2024 federal budget. And the profit supporting season continues. CBA has announced a record half-year cash profit of up 9% to $5.2 billion. Iron ore miner Fortescue Metals Group has reported a net profit down 15% to $2.4 billion on sales 4% lower to $7.8 billion. Auckland-based hotels and casino group Sky City has posted a net profit up 167.8% to New Zealand, $22.8 million on sales up 59.6% to New Zealand, $462.6 million for the six months to December 31. The Synergy Centre's saturated net profit after tax fell to $176.3 million in the first half of the 2023 financial year, from $650.2 million in the prior corresponding period. Treasury wine estate sales revenue increased 1.4% to $1.3 billion in the half year ended December 31. The company's profit after tax jumped 72.5% to $188.2 million. Star Entertainment Group now expects to report underlying EBITDA of $330 million to $360 million for the year ending June 30. Lendlease reported statutory loss after tax of $141 million for the half year to December 31. Redbubble reported marketplace revenue of $289.3 million in the half year ended December 31, in line with the prior corresponding period. Corporate Travel Manager reported first half EBITDA of $51.3 million on its preferred underlying measure. The group also forecast underlying profit before tax of $120 million to $140 million. Hearing aid manufacturer Cochlear has posted an underlying net profit down 10% to $141.6 million. Car sales pro forma EBITDA rose 17% to $211 million. Beach Energy's underlying EBITDA fell 4% to $491 million. JB Hi-Fi's earnings before interest and tax EBIT were up 14% to $479.2 million. Insurance Australia's group cash earnings jumped 26.7% to $223 million, while its underlying insurance margin fell by 440 basis points to 10.7%. Horizon reported EBITDA of $673 million for the half year ended December 31, down 7% against a prior comparable period. Fletcher Building's interim net profit fell 46% to New Zealand $92 million, that's $83.6 million Aussie, which included New Zealand $150 million flag construction provisions. Ordinate revenue increased 39.3% to US $20.6 million, while EBITDA was up 109% to $4.3 million. Endeavour Group EBIT rose 15.8% to $644 million, and net profit after tax jumped 17% to $364 million. Ansel sales dropped 17.2% in the first half of 2023 financial year to $835.3 million. EBIT fell 17.6% to $91.54 million on a reported basis due to the exit from Russia in 2022 and unfavourable FX changes. Challenger's first half pre-tax profit was $250 million, up 5%, or $123 million after tax, down 56% because of investment market movements. Breville EBITDA jumped 13.1% to $141.9 million from the same period a year ago. CSL posted 
US $1.6 billion in net profit after tax for the first half of 2023 financial year. Temple and Webster first half revenue was $207.1 million, down 12%, and net profit fell 46.7% to $3.9 million. Seven West Media earnings for the group fell 4.8% in the first half of 2023 financial year to $205 million. Seven Group Holdings forecast low to mid percent EBIT growth for the full year after reporting first half earnings before interest and tax growth of 16% to $595 million. James Hardy Industries global net sales fell to $861 million in the third quarter, taking net income to $129 million, or 16% lower. Scrap metal recycling company Sims has reported a 60% decline in statutory profit amid challenging market conditions, with a statutory net impact of half-year 2023 of $101 million compared to $253 million in half-year 2022. Statutory impact in half-year 2023 was $101 million compared to $253 million in half-year 2022. Dexas Funds from Operations, FFO, slipped 7% to $379 million in the first half 2023 financial year. Fleet management company SG Fleet reported first half net profit of $41.9 million, up 41.1%. Net wealth reported record underlying EBITDA excluding on-cash share-based payments of $47.4 million in the first half of FY23, up 8.1% on the prior corresponding period. PAC Group's revenue grew by 8% in the first half to $998 million. Underlying EBIT fell 8% to $75 million. Medical software business ProMedicus has posted a net profit up 31.5% to $27.2 million, on sales up 28.3% for the half year to December 31. And that's it for this week. And next week, I'll be talking to Michael Chetner, head of Zoom Australia New Zealand, about the new Zoom virtual agent, an intelligent conversational AI and chatbot solution to help businesses connect and communicate with their customers at scale in a more efficient way. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest unemployment figures. This show was brought to you by multi-award winning law firm McDonald Legal, experts in the areas of dispute resolution and commercial and property law. For a free consultation on your legal matter, McDonald Legal can be reached on 039070 or by visiting the website www.mcdonaldlegal.com.au. In the meantime, catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.